3: Not quite. Come on, it's a holiday week. Guy Benson's probably on a beach somewhere earning 20%. That's a line from Die Hard, Christine. I don't know if you knew that. Nope, didn't. Uh, Hans Gruber said that after they would pull off the big heist, they'd be on a beach earning 20%. Old saying. Anyway, I got to share the news. Big day. For the first time in 16 years, I walked out of a car dealership with a new car. Yes, it's true. And here's the funny thing. You want to talk about inflation hitting this country. Oh, boy. Now, let me give the background on this. I had a 16-year-old Acura, 187,000 miles, and it wouldn't go over 50 miles an hour in the past week. And a friend of mine who's a mechanic said, fix this thing. It's going to be worth more than the actual car. So maybe it's finally time after all this time and all those miles that you get another car. So I said, all right, I'm not going for the Alfa Romeo. Not going for the... Jaguar. I'm not going for even, you know, the Lexus or the Mercedes-Benz. I went for a Honda. Alright? Honda. I know! People out there, you should be buying American, Conch. You're on Fox and you're going to the Japs. They still haven't apologized for Pearl Harbor. I understand this completely, but it's a good car. What can I say? It's good on mileage. You can depend on them. Fords are priced like Rolls Royces these days. I looked at an Explorer. Trust me. I mean, way out of my price range. Okay? I got a Honda Pilot, okay? Your standard SUV. You know what I paid for this thing? $44,000 for a Honda! <sighs> but it runs. and I could go over fifty miles an hour on the highway. You, you
4: do know. I yeah. mean, you watch the news, right? I, 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 I'm on the news. So, oh, are you? Yeah,
3: Fox News, Fox Business, Fox Nation, FoxNews.com. But go ahead. He's everywhere, kids. Yes.
4: Uh, it's not the right time to buy a car right now.
3: That's very true, you know? I didn't introduce myself, by the way. This is Joe Contra. I'm a Fox News contributor. I'm a media and politics columnist for The Hill. You're like, who the hell is talking right now? I hope you recognize the voice. I'm on enough. Geez. Uh, no, it's not a good time to buy a car. But it was between having two very young kids in the backseat on a highway where you can't break 50 and trucks are going by at 80, or you suck it up, you break into their college fund, and you get the Honda Pilot. And here we are. So have fun at Rutgers, kids, because you're not leaving New Jersey. I'll tell you that. Georgetown University, by the way, where my wife went to school, speaking of college costs, and we're going to talk about college loans and student loans and forgiveness and all that fun stuff And the Guy Benson Show. Believe me, $78,000 all in for one year to be a Georgetown Hoya. Okay? So think about the math on this for a second. Multiply that by four. You're well over $300,000, except that's after taxes. Let's say before taxes, what do you got to earn to send your kid to Georgetown? Just to pay for that part with no assistance, Half mil. Imagine that. So again, kiddies, you better know what you want to do as a major. Because if you want to be a psychology major, geology, gender studies, have fun at William Patterson college or some community college near me, because I'm not paying for it. All right. Why am I talking to my kids? They're not listening. Unbelievable. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. As you know, what should we talk about first? Because we have so many great topics today. It's basically Biden week. I was talking to Christine before the producer, like, you know, going over the show. You're trying to think, what what will we talk about exactly? And I think in the end, Joe Biden is more visible this week than he has been Basically, all summer, right? After all, he basically took the entire month of August for a nice vacation in South Carolina, Kiwa Island. If you've never been, go there. Again, you got to be like richest one percent kind of go there, but still, you'll you'll enjoy it if you do have the money. Or in Delaware, uh, where he spends a lot of time as well. But now this week, he's been out and about a lot because. They probably read, speaking of reading the news, as Christine asked before, they read all these press accounts in The Washington Post and New York Times, and they watch MSNBC and CNN, and apparently there's Joe Mentum going on right now, right? Not momentum, Joe Mentum, where, boy, he's got the wind at his back. They passed all these great bills, and now suddenly Democrats are poised to keep the House in November, And then you look at this little thing called reality. And the reality is that inflation still has not gone away. It's still at 8.5%. It's still at a 40-year high, and people still – feel the pain of not even being able to pay for their electric bill and all the cost of food and obviously gas. We keep hearing how, oh, gas is way down. Way down from what? Oh, that's right, an all-time high. It's still, I filled my tank today in the new car, and that costs something like almost $100. It's it's about $4 per gallon in New Jersey. I've seen it start to go up a little bit, and it's going to go way up in October because Europe is going to have these embargoes now on Russian oil, which is going to completely screw up uh, the oil market and right in front of the mid terms, by the way. And you could be looking at gas at 5 $6 a gallon again. So Putin price hike is going to make a comeback, believe me. You're going to hear all about that after this administration took credit for bringing down gas prices when they basically did nothing to do that. It's just the ebb and flow of the market. And oh, by the way, they didn't do anything to do that because they still haven't opened up the Keystone pipeline again, that, that extension of the XL pipeline. They're still not drilling in places like Alaska and Anwar. They're still rejecting leases off the Gulf Coast where we can produce energy here and home, energy independence once again, and get gas prices down back where they were when this president first took office, which was about $2.30 a gallon. So when it goes up to $4 and you celebrate that somehow as a victory, I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. But nonetheless, here you have the president now out and about touting all of his accomplishments, like passing the Inflation Reduction Act. I still think this is the best unintentional comedy out there because it does not reduce inflation in any way, shape or form. In fact, it'll probably increase it. But the press ran with it anyway. And Joe Manchin bought into it. And now $750 billion added to the trillions that we're already spending on top of what we can afford. I have a feeling that may spur inflation once again. The the bottom line is that as long as these prices are high and as long as we see the border in the catastrophe that it is at this point and all the fentanyl that's coming over into this country, killing a record number of Americans. And you still see the education system going sideways and you still see crime, rampant crime, brazen crime carried out by people mostly who already had committed crimes and were let out without bail just to commit crimes. Once again, Daniel Enriquez, Goldman Sachs guy going home from work, New York city subway, He's just sitting there, and a guy walks up to him, shoots him in the head. The guy who shot him was out on bail after assaulting somebody, right? The guy who cold-cocked cocked that, that man in the Bronx, right, put him into a coma, gave him brain damage. Even if he wakes up, he'll probably never be the same again. And the person who committed that crime originally was let out without bail. It, 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 this is unbelievable. So we, we hear the president in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, yesterday talking about how, okay, well, we're going to add all these cops to the beat, and that's great. But the problem is that only solves half the problem, because as long as you have district attorneys and judges letting people out that get arrested to commit crimes again, then what's the what's the point? I almost went there. Sorry. I thought I was on Sirius XM for a second. But no, this is Fox News Radio and we keep it G rated here, Christine. Right. She's shaking her head nervously. Uh, What can I say? So let's play cut one, shall we? This is the president, the same president who didn't say diddly during the summer of 2020. You remember those mostly peaceful riots. Didn't say a word about that because he had to have the support of Black Lives Matter. And he supported all those protests that got really bad really fast. Never said a word about Bill de Blasio cutting a billion dollars from the New York City Police Department. So that wasn't completely defunding the police, but it defunded it a lot. Now you see the mess that New York City is in. He now is trying to sell you that actually, no, he has been completely and totally backing the blue all along when he didn't say it when it counted during the 2020 election. Cut one go.
5: You know, I call it the safer America's plan. And both your members of Congress voted for it. It's based on a simple notion. When it comes to public safety in this nation, the answer is not defund the police. It's fund the police. Fund the police.
3: Go back and look at any transcript from any speech that this president gave as a candidate in 2020. Never once did he utter those three words. Fund the police but now there's an election coming up so he's going to actually try to sell us on the fact that no 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 actually we were for this all all along and as Jen Psaki once famously said actually it's Republicans who are for defunding the police and one time at Bandcamp. all right enough so let's play cut two shall we because I love montages because it's kind of like the receipts right we got receipts here the by Guy Benson show Let's listen to this montage on Democrats talking about the exact opposite of what you just heard from Joe Biden. Cut to go.
1: Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police.
0: Yes, I support the defund movement. Talking about um, the reduction of our NYPD budget and defunding a $6 billion NYPD budget. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle.
5: Defund the police does not mean
3: abolish the police. And this is what drives me crazy. Joe Biden, yesterday during the same speech, keeps talking about these these people called MAGA Republicans or Ultra MAGA. Ultra MAGA is something, when I was single, to, to meet girls, I would run in like these 5Ks and be a part of these co-ed softball teams and everything. The whole point, of course, was not to win the game, all right, because sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. But then afterwards, it would be a big social event. So you'd run a 5K, and then you'd have a Michelob Ultra. Right. So now this ultra MAGA sounds like vodka, you know, in a can. Right. I'm like, oh, I just finished a 5K. I think I'll have a couple of ultra MAGAs. It's so ridiculous. And when he says this, he's talking a language that people don't talk at happy hours. When you're in Washington, per se, and I, I used to live there, and you go out and you talk maybe politics with your friends. No one's saying, what do you think about these MAGA Republicans and what they're doing to the country? It's not something that flows off the tongue very easily. Nonetheless, let's play cut five, because here's Joe Biden somehow tying in Republicans not support the police with what happened
5: on january 6th go no one should be encouraged to use political violence none whatsoever and look you know if we're in a situation where to this day the maga republicans in congress defend the mob that stormed the capitol on january 6th defend them
3: ah defend them the man who destroyed democracy and has divided this country in Joe Biden. Oh, hyperbole. No, I don't think so. Th- th- this is what he has done just in the last couple of weeks. All right. This is the same guy who broke student loan contracts, right? My wife, ER doctor, Uh, she went full scholarship Georgetown. Good for her. She's like a gazelle, right? In terms of uh, her ability to run really, really fast, particularly in the uh, 600 meters, third in the country at one point, just bragging. Anyway, the point is that, all right, she had that paid for because she worked her butt off and was able to get an athletic scholarship. And then she was pre-med and doing the whole track thing, which must've made for a really fun time for those four years. And then after that, she goes to medical school, but she had to pay her way through that because her dad had triple bypass surgery at 37 and he worked in printing companies and, and not in the front office, he was in the back part of the, the warehouses doing the grunt work. He couldn't work anymore because his heart was too weak. So basically they were living off of not a lot. Uh, so then when medical school came about, she had to take out these big loans and she paid him back over years and years time. So The fact that then we have a president who doesn't even go through Congress and says, "Okay, I'm going to forgive all of these student loans and doesn't think about, A, what that's going to do to inflation, B, what that does to all the other people who never went to college. And a majority of Americans have not gone to college. This politically – and it was Paul Begala on CNN who said it. this is bad politics and bad policy. So even Democrats don't like this. And you see poll after poll now coming out where – what was it? Morning Consult I saw today – Only 42% of independents support this move by the president. Not even a majority of Americans support this giveaway. So, all right, that's one thing. In terms of democracy, you're supposed to go through Congress, who controls the purse strings, and then Senate, and then it gets signed by the president. This president just acts like an authoritarian and says, I'm going to forgive all of this, and I'm not going to go through anybody. Imagine if Trump did this as a fun game that you could play in these situations. Next, then, in terms of destroying democracy and dividing the country, uh, he's had all these high profile federal raids, arrests of political opponents, which is banana republic kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about the store, but you know it, that's not how we do things in this country. And if you want to get those documents back from Trump, I'm pretty sure you didn't need 30 federal agents to storm Mar-a-Lago, like Normandy, trying to find these things. This could have been done a lot more quieter, but that's not that that wasn't the point. The point of that raid is to distract primarily the news media who loves this stuff From talking about inflation, crime, the border, fentanyl, education, all the things that if we're talking about an issues based election, then that party in the Democratic Party is in a lot of trouble given their performance. So they always try to make the referendum on Trump, even though he hasn't been in office in something like, I don't know, 21 months. Then you have also a Joe Biden whose Department of Justice ordered Board parents who attended board meetings. Parents like me uh, called them domestic terrorists. If my God forbid, we just want to know what our kids are being taught in school in terms of curriculum, and and if we get a little vocal about that in in a, in a school board meeting, because we really don't want you know in my case, my first and third graders being taught about gender identification and sexual orientation. Uh, I don't know how that makes me a direct domestic terrorist, but here we are, right? And then finally, this is the guy also who will be hiring not eight thousand but eighty seven thousand IRS agents, some armed, mind you. And They're about to be looking at not, you know, the big fat cats. But we're talking about a lot of small businesses, and, and the audits are going to be flying fast and furious in order to find all of this magical revenue to pay for all of this stuff. And I just never heard of a party who thinks that, hey, we're going to add 87 IRS agents in front of an election and thinks that that's a good idea. But the, you get the point, though, right? Joe Biden has divided this country by calling, what was it, 74 million, Now I think about it, 74 million people who voted for Donald Trump, they're all semi-fascist. They weren't voting on economic issues, or they weren't voting on immigration, or they weren't voting on taxes or education, oh no, they're really just all these secret David Duke-likes that that wanted to put Donald Trump into office. It is utterly and totally ridiculous, and now, tomorrow night, he will go on to primetime to give a speech about... The threat of fascism because he can't talk about the issues at this point that really matter to the American people. Joe Concha filling in for Guy Benson, back with more in just a moment.
2: Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Precise, personal, powerful. is America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Lot of bass in this bump. Bass player always got the chicks. It, it, I mean, you think that's a myth, it's true. My, my brother was a bassist in his band and it, it, it went well for him. Anyway, Joe Concha filling in for Guy Benson, the Guy Benson show. Senator Lindsey Graham. I think if you look at the Republican side, he's probably on more than. Anyone right, I don't think that's a bad thing, you know exposure is a good thing uh Kennedy, I, I like him the senator he's he's always got a good line he's smart he, he always has that one. He knows that this is a world that draws sound bites out of three four five minute interviews, and he always has one that's for sure, but but Lindsey Graham ain't too bad himself and and here he is talking about he was with Jesse last night on primetime, Jesse, not Jesse Tarlap, but Jesse waters uh, about the crime crisis, you know look. You, you could point to MAGA Republicans in January 6th all you want. The record is the record. And in 2020, it was every Democratic-led city from Minneapolis to Los Angeles to Atlanta to New York to Chicago that saw just a country that was devastated by these riots. Let's listen to Lindsey Graham. Cut 13. Go.
0: The crime problem in this country is directly related to the policies of Democrats in big cities and in the White House. And the reason so many people don't want to be a cop is they don't believe anybody in this administration has their back. And if you want to talk about political violence, I reject it. I reject it on January the 6th. I reject it in Portland. I reject it in New York City. So why don't you talk, President Biden, to your own vice president? You know, one way to encourage political violence is to bail out people
3: who attack the cops on the streets of New York in Black Lives Matter riots. And we have the receipts, by the way. This was then, no, she wasn't a candidate at that point, now that I think about it, because Kamala Harris, you keep hearing about she was a 2020 Presidential candidate. No, not quite. Uh, She announced in January of 2019 that she was running for president, and some thought that she was a front runner. And she dropped out before 2020 even began in December because of all those racist and sexist Democratic voters. That's what she named anyway. But in June of 2020, when she was basically campaigning to be Joe Biden's pick for vice president, uh, she did set up a bail fund for those in Minneapolis, uh, including one man as a result of said bail fund who got out and committed more horrible crimes. Uh, Overall, this is what we're talking about. When you try to support criminals more than protecting your own citizens, that's a big problem. And that's why Kamala Harris right now is at, this is an incredible stat, she's at 35% approval. Not nationally, oh no, in California, the bluest of blue states. Her home state, she barely has one-third support. I don't think she's the plan B for 2020, no question about it. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, back with more in just a moment. You
2: care about Guy Benson
3: and hey, Joe Concha, in for Guy Benson, the Guy Benson show. Let's welcome Jason Chaffetz. He is a Fox News contributor and former chairman of the House Oversight Committee and the author of They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. The truth about disaster liberalism. And he's also the host, of course, of Jason in the House podcast on Fox News Radio. You follow him on Twitter at Jason in the House. You ever notice because I, I just wrote a book, Jason. That's gonna be out on September twenty-seventh. Awesome. Yes. Good. And, it's it it's hard. It takes a long time. It's a commitment. I had to go to yeah. the library every I don't every day for like two, three hours. My goal was just to do a chapter. If right. I could do a chapter a day, because they only gave me forty five minutes to write this forty five uh, days to write this thing. Right. But but still, what 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 I found funny was every book title now has to be really, really long. Yeah. You notice that?
0: So it's like you make your hit on it and then you got to explain what it all means and yeah I, I the the title took me forever um but
3: publisher didn't think of it they they minded oh, they really
0: took a they really <laughs> took their time on it but yeah congratulations
3: look forward to seeing that oh thank you yeah it's called come on man the truth behind joe biden's no good horrible very bad presidency again long <laughs> it's like a paragraph but it should be fun makes sense You're a writer. uh, Outside of books, you also write columns for foxnews.com. And you had a very interesting one out yesterday about Stacey Abrams. Uh, The title, Stacey Abrams worked two full-time jobs during her 2018 run for governor. How did she do it? Stacey Abrams was a fortunate political candidate. She received a full-time salary for a 40-hour work week while simultaneously running for public office. And she almost won. So... What's the deal? How could you work two jobs and run for, you know, not run for mayor, right? This is the governor of Georgia.
0: Look, I I guess the overarching thing, the question, and this is what we continue to pose. How is it that you go from being a public servant, somebody who's working on the state house of representatives, running for governor, raising $40 million as she did, and over the course of time become worth a couple million dollars, you know? And so- I, a, a lot of questions there that that still need to be you know answered along the way, but um, it, it'll be fascinating to see what happens in this race. I think the political climate is changing there in Georgia. I mean, it, it really is changing because suddenly the polls are going in a different direction. And I think in politics in general, I mean, we're paying attention to politics day to day, but oh, yeah. a big, huge portion of the population, it's after Labor Day, and but th- at the same time. You also have early voting that has really pushed this thing up to to much earlier in
3: the process. Yeah. How early – Would you agree to is is a logical time because I think voting in this country is probably one of the easiest things to do. We always hear about voter suppression, and then we saw what happened in Georgia, right? Stacey Abrams, her signature issue was that votes, particularly among minorities, were being suppressed in that state as a result of Jim Crow 2.0. You know that horrible law that had the All Star Game moved from Atlanta to Denver, right? right? And and all that happened last November was they had a record turnout. They basically doubled the amount of votes that were voted in the 2022 midterms as opposed to 2018 or 2021, I guess I should say, as, as opposed to four years earlier. So if she doesn't have that issue to run on, she can't run on the Democrats' record on inflation or crime or the border. So I don't see how she
0: wins here. Do you? I, I, I don't know. I mean, Joe Biden comes to town, right? And uh, oh, she has Scheduling another off, like,
3: obligation. People's like, schedules are really crowded in yeah, Ohio you know, and
0: Georgia, aren't they? It's in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, yeah. It's, it's amazing <laughs> how the President of the United States comes and, whoops, I'm going to be you know, doing a a local knock on door event. I I don't know. I I the, I think the Democrats overall have this this problem and challenge, and I think that's why they want to change the subject. You know, because yeah. you're right: immigration, inflation, crime. What do they run on? And and they try to blame Republicans. But the, when the Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and the country overwhelmingly believes the country's. On the wrong track, who else are they? You know, it was Donald
3: Trump's fault. It was Vladimir Putin's uh, fault. Come on. So they're trying to make this election, this midterms coming up, a referendum on Donald Trump who hasn't been in office in 21 months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is it working? If we look at that, let me get your thoughts on this, that New York special election just a couple of weeks ago where the Democrat beat the Republican and everybody says, "Ah, see, that shows that Democrats could take back or keep the House in this case. But then again, if you look at 2020, Joe Biden won that district by 11.2 points, I believe it was. And then this Democrat came in and won by two points. How is that... A good sign for Democrats. I'm just curious. I think the only thing that Democrats could genuinely
0: run on with their base and some of the more moderate people is on the uh, abortion issue. Right. Um, and I think that's a legitimate issue. I think Republicans need to hit it, hit it head on. But, uh, when you say hit it head on, how do you do that? Uh, just make the case. And, and be able to say, no, We the, the Supreme Court ruling didn't abolish it. It just said you get to make those decisions in your own state. With and, Kansas being the example. Yes. They
3: left it up to the voters instead of nine yes, people in robes, right. right? And they said, no, we don't want to abolish it in our state. Great. It worked. That's yes. exactly what they wanted. But I think they sufficiently scared a lot of people. But for a lot
0: of people, that is their tier one, number one issue. And they're going to get out and vote and make their vote heard. And, you know, that's the American way. But Republicans – they fall into this trap where they keep talking about personalities. And I think the Democrats want nothing more than to have a daily drip of Donald Trump and just try to tie every single Republican to Donald Trump and the perception of chaos. And, you know, there's a big dust cloud and try to taint everybody. But the the problem is the Trump policies were working because the contrast between the two. And that's where I don't think they want to get into a debate on on this. Like Joe Biden goes to Pennsylvania and he starts talking about crime. Right. How do you do that when the border's wide open and you've been at your vice president, you know, Two years ago was out there trying
3: to bail people out of these riots as fast as they can to put them back out on the street. That's right. And, and the crime of, of fentanyl coming over uh, across this border, yeah. killing a record number of Americans between 18 and 49, something like more than 100,000. Number one year. cause of death for that, that age category. I is- heard Dana Perino today on America's Newsroom talk about how it's killing 300 Americans per day. And uh. then a parent who lost their kid. And, and the parents said, look, we, we came from a normal household, right? Because yeah. fentanyl is now being laced. or I'm sorry, like things like Oxycontin, which you should not be taking either. But but some kids you know, may take that thinking it's a safe drug, so to speak. It's laced with fentanyl. And then they're finding their kids face down on their desks in their bedrooms uh, with their earbuds in and they're dead. You know, and, yeah. and it's it's something that is a crisis in this country. And and the president refuses basically to talk about it. We're talking to Jason Chaffetz right now. So you think then, therefore, when it comes to the midterms and you see Joe Biden came in Reuters, 38 percent approval. Everybody keeps talking about momentum, And I, I keep looking at the polls and I see little ticks up here and there. But then I see drops. I don't see anything happening. Right. And I just wonder at this point. I guess the Senate. I, I think they the, the Republicans will take back the House because that always happens. The party in power loses X amount yeah. of seats, and not just like two or three. Donald Trump lost forty three. by the right? dozens, right? Yeah. Barack Obama lost sixty three, yeah. and he was pulling higher than Joe Biden. Okay, yeah. Bill Bill Clinton fifty four. The difference with Clinton is Clinton learned from that and then pivoted back to he the did. middle. Yeah, and they won re-election, not quite a landslide, but pretty comfortably. Right? Yeah. Uh, this president. Doesn't have the ability to do that,
0: does he? Well, I mean, you follow communications as closely as anybody. This guy, the the solution the Democrats say is more cowbell. We need more Joe Biden, (laughs) right? More. Get him out on the trail yesterday. But he he makes so many gaffes. I mean, just yesterday, he's talking about Fetterman Mm -hmm. and encouraging people to go out and vote for the big guy. We want to put him back in the governor's office. It's like, wait – He's Fetterman's running a for the Senate. He's running for the Senate, not oh, the, So you could see why these people don't want to stand next to him because he's a gaff machine. But it'd be fascinating as he crisscrosses the country. Who shows up? How many people show up? And will these candidates like Tim Ryan in Ohio and Stacey Abrams and and uh, Fetterman and will they even show up at John, John Kelly in Arizona? I mean, I, I don't know that they want his face and. Certainly Kamala Harris is nowhere. Yeah,
3: they they do not want this to be a referendum on the Biden presidency. That's That's right. That's certainly for sure. By the way, I just checked 538. Uh, Kemp is up five points on Abrams in the average. You see some polls where he's up seven or eight, and you know those polls are skewed Question more Democratic voters than Republicans have so called that seven points. In other words, I would think at least that that race is yeah. pretty safe. What, what do you think of Mitch McConnell, Jason Chaffetz, when he originally said that there may not be the highest quality of candidates on the Senate side? As you said, no one pays attention to stuff until after Labor Day anyway. And obviously he's talking about Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, Herschel Walker in Georgia, uh, Blake Masters in Arizona. Was that the right rhetoric to come from the Senate Majority Leader at the or Minority Leader, I should say? At
0: come point. on, the guy has been around the block for a long time. Eighty two, yeah, right? but yeah. So <laughs> where was he in the participation of you know who's going to be the candidate and whatnot? I I don't know. I I, I think. Um, I think there are other leaders that will rise up. Um, Mitch McConnell is not exactly the fresh new face of the Republican Party either. It's everybody. Um, Pelosi's over 80.
3: Yes. Schumer's in his 70s. The president's going to be 80 in November. Yeah. Right? It's just everybody's in their 80s or late 70s. Can we go younger, please? Just let's shoot for some 70-year-olds and we'll be all right. Right, exactly. (laughs) You ever hear the stat where it it talks about if they had age limits on the Senate of 70 years old that – three-quarters of the Senate would be gone. I mean, is that incredible? <laughs> yeah. But that's true because it's a six-year term, so there's some of their late 60s, and they wouldn't be uh, able to run, run for office again. Uh, the president during an election year, Jason Chaffetz, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who got 81 million votes, has not done a sit-down television interview since the Super Bowl. All right? We're talking two trimesters and then some. We're talking 200 days yeah. since they would let him sit down. So the, the face that we see overall is Corinne Jean-Pierre. Right. Who I said on Fox and Friends first today is probably no is the worst press secretary I have ever seen. Right. And I'm just basing that on you talk about how I study communications and media just on performance and preparation. Yeah. Right, and she gets blindsided by questions, and then she reads answers from this this binder. She's like the Mitt Romney of press secretaries; got all these binders. Uh, she she'll answer a question uh, with an answer that has nothing to do with the question because she maybe went to the wrong page. Who knows, right? But it was interesting this week, and I know we have the uh, the cut here, guys. the The exchange between Karine Jean Pierre and Peter Ducey, which I think was very telling, because here you had lying in broad daylight, because she talked about how. There's nobody crossing, walking over the border. What yeah. are you talking about? And there's literally video of it every day from Bill Malusian down at the border. Let's play Cut Twenty Five. Go.
6: How come migrants are allowed to come into this country unvaccinated, but world class tennis players are not?
4: Are you you're talking about which world class tennis players? Novak <laughs>
6: Djokovic. So no,
4: they're two different things. They're two As, different things.
6: But, so are, how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated, they're allowed to stay. But, Why?
7: But that's not how it works. Yeah, like, we actually, no.
6: What, I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what ha- what is happening.
7: But that's not, it's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not, that's that's not exactly how.
6: exactly what's happening. We,
7: well.
3: Thousands
6: of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening.
3: I wish Peter Doocy had an iPad there. Something with a big screen. All right, here it is. Okay. Defend that.
0: You, you know that they've have Fox News on at the White House press room twenty-four-seven. I do. mean and Fox ex- covers this extensively, almost exclusively. It's like That's an exclusive true. to see Bill Malusion down on the border. They asked Bill Malusion, you see any other
3: reporters down here? Yeah. No. No. Only when they were whipping of migrants from Border Patrol. Then suddenly every you know converged on the U.S. border. It, it is
0: a total embarrassment. It's embarrassment that the the president of the United States has never been there in some 50 years in public service that Kamala Harris did a you know quick to check the box but never really did it. Yeah. And you know what? It's not Joe Concher or Jason Chaffetz saying this. When you talk to to people who are actually in the Border Patrol, like Brandon Judd, yeah. who's the head of the the Border Patrol Council – they never have a meeting with these people. And so when Secretary Mayorkas comes up and says, oh, we have operational control and and things are under under control. We have challenges, but it's under control. There's no statistic anywhere that supports any of that. They just deny it. And the where is the intellectual curiosity from the media? That's, That's the, the thing. thing. They, they never get asked this question. And so they don't take it very seriously. They know if they blow it off that – and I heard Dana Perino talking about this – if they just blow it off, they're not going to run it on any of the other networks out there, That's and right. so the reporters just move on because they want to get their story
3: on the nightly news, and they wow. know their, their station won't do immigration. It's the camel approach. We only got one minute left, unfortunately, but I just want to get your thoughts on – we. I uh, talked about Novak Djokovic, or at least Peter Ducey brought him up right. a moment ago. Which world-class tennis player? Jimmy Connors? I mean, how do you not know what we're talking about? But- <laughs> Bjorn Bjork? <laughs> come on. But, I mean, it is amazing, though, with, with Djokovic. This just tells you just how insane our policy is as far as the federal government not allowing foreigners to come in that are unvaccinated. Novak Djokovic played in the U.S. Open last year. When he was unvaccinated, he's had COVID not once, but twice. There's this thing called natural immunity that exists. It's probably better than a vaccine. And currently there's 23,000 people over at Arthur Ashe stadium, all crammed together who didn't have to show a vaccination card, but Novak Djokovic easily the best player right now. And probably the best of all time. You can make the argument. Can't play 15, 20 seconds. When we look, uh, look back at this time and just say, we were all insane. They all were insane. Not right. you and me. Come right. on. Just Our have leaders.
0: him take a COVID test. That's all you got to do. And yeah. it just he'll pass, and he should play.
3: And it's it's, it's a sport where everybody's socially distanced already. Yeah, you're outside playing wings. This is a rugby tennis. like you played back at Utah. Come on. You look like a rugby player. Anyway, yes. his name is Jason Chavitz. He is a Fox News contributor. He is ubiquitous. Are you hosting Hannity again this week? Uh No. But I'm going to be on a show as a guest. Oh, so. good, very good. I will be on Friday night as well. Yes. So that that'll be big. It was good. what's called a, a, a pre-tape, but now I'm told we're going live, and that's uh, that's a good thing. That that's better. You like hosting? Oh, I love it. I I, I I love it. It's really fun. I've always challenges So many moving parts. Yeah. And the thing is, you do it with a smile. You know, you don't have to be angry all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. got to yeah. let everybody in on the joke. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Jason, thank you. Thanks. Good Joe. to see you. we will be on the thank high you. seas maybe one day, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> Joe conchin for Guy Benson. Back with more in just a moment.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
3: So, I was just speaking to my kids through my ring camera. I had ring cameras installed. Because maybe or maybe not, I had a neighbor that decides to come over a little too often to borrow stuff. So I had to put an end to that. Anyway... But you could talk through this thing. It's kind of cool. So it it literally gives you a notification whenever there is somebody at your, in this case, I have three cameras in my front of my side and my back. And then from there, I could just, I see them and I could actually talk to them. My kids were kind of freaked out by this because they thought I was like behind like a brick wall somehow talking to them was really weird. But anyway, uh, I I can't recommend these things enough. Uh, Every time someone comes up to your house, if you so choose, you can get a a notification. Anyway, uh, let's see. I got to play this because this is so Biden-y. This is only, only one way to put it. Cut 22. Joe Biden kind of goes back to his roots here, like when he said that you have to have a really thick Indian accent in order to work at a 7-Eleven, or when he called Barack Obama clean and articulate, which, again, picture any Republican saying that about Barack Obama. You would be immediately – the pitch dork four would run out of pitchforks. Let's put it that way. Cut 22, go.
5: If I can inter- just interject for a moment, my deceased son, Bo – he was the attorney general of the state of Delaware, and what he used to do is go down in the east side, in the, what called the Bucket, highest crime rate in the country. There's a place where I used to I was the only white guy that worked as a lifeguard down in that area, in the east side. And you know where the you can always tell where the best basketball in the state is and the best basketball in the city is. Oh. It's where everybody shows up.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, so basically. Only black guys are good at basketball in, in Joe Biden's world, which which is really fascinating. But this all goes back to the corn pop story, which I'll try to tell in about 20 seconds. OK, Joe Biden thought that it would be a good idea when he was like 21 years old, that he would go work at a pool where it was primarily black. And he says in his book, this is actually what he says, that it was to get to know the black community better, because that's the way most you know 21 year old uh, kids uh, think when they're getting a summer job. Anyway. This guy, Corn Pop, is on a uh, diving board. He's not wearing a bathing cap. So then Biden starts yelling at him, says, put the bathing cap on or you're going to be thrown out. Calls him Esther Williams, who was like a female swimmer at the time. And it embarrasses this this gang member in front of all the other gang members who are playing Sharks and Minnows in the pool. Then afterwards, Corn Pop, this gang member, and all these other gang members confront him. Biden says, I'm not going to apologize for telling you to get off the diving board and and put on a swim cap. And then you're supposed to believe that Corn Pop backed down and never bothered him again. This is in my book, Corn Man, by Joe Concha. Corn Pop was
5: a bad dude. There it is.
3: Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, otherwise known as Fox News' Corn Pop. Back with more in a moment.
2: city in the world unconventional talk from a fresh unconventional conservative guy benson show
3: uh, good afternoon everybody joe concha in for guy benson on this lovely it feels like thursday wednesday has no feel i don't know it's like there's a holiday weekend right in front of us just begging begging to come and it feels like thursday but it's only wednesday but we're gonna get there it's uh, the hump day as, as they call it Uh, In some parts, I want to bring in our next guest who, look, maybe it's a mutual admiration of society, but I have always admired. There's not a ton of people I admire in Congress, I got to admit. All right. Uh, But uh, this one here is somebody that is just truly inspirational. Uh, She represents Florida's third district, a small business owner. You got to like that. I I read a poll, actually, Gallup. You know who ranks higher than any entity as far as favorability in this country? All right. The low is Congress. The second lowest is newspapers. Uh, uh, What what was the other one? Um, It was news media in general. So I guess they they went with uh, newspapers and news media uh, as far as what ranks the lowest as far as public approval. Number one, small businesses. Number two, military. Number three, medical professionals. So, you know, anybody who owns a small business, trust me, uh, as somebody who knows somebody very close to them that owns one, uh, it, it is a labor of love, and uh, we appreciate all small business owners in this country. Anyway, enough of the build-up to our next guest. This is Congresswoman Kat Kamick. How are you, Kat? Are you there?
5: I'm good.
1: I'm here. Can you hear me?
3: Yeah, I can hear you. And there
1: you are. Yeah. <laughs> That was a heck of an introduction. I well, should take you on the road.
3: <laughs> it's done. We, we we could do a duet
1: <laughs> like Sonny and Cher. I like this. Uh, I like this. Do you know energy here.
3: <laughs> that we were born on the same day? We are both Aquarii. I think that's the term, right?
1: No. February
3: 16th, no. 1988. Even right down to the year we were born on this. Now that's not quite true with me. But uh here's <laughs> February 16th baby, which you kind of get screwed on Valentine's Day, don't you? I mean, my wife kind of combines the birthday gift with the Valentine's gift. I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. It's like being born on like the day before Christmas Eve. I don't know, just saying.
1: Joe, Joe, you you are you are right there hitting my soul because let me tell you, not only do we have obviously the the Valentine's Day, February fourteenth, but then our birthday, two days later, my anniversary, we got married on the eighteenth of February. So it's like back to back to back. And my husband, he's always been on this kick about just one big gift. That's all you get. Like I think that's wrong. It needs to be one for each, right?
3: It's a whole bowl of wrong, and you're exactly right about <laughs> that. And I'll have to talk to Mrs. <laughs> Concha uh, about this. Can, can you explain something to me? Okay, you're, you're, I,
1: you're, I will try.
3: Okay, you're, you're now the youngest Republican woman in the U.S. House, right? Yeah, and
1: yeah. I bring the average age down by thirty years.
3: Yeah. Okay, and and you look at your your, your education, your background, you're a graduate of the U.S. Naval War Car- College, for example, right? And, How do you go from, you grew up in Denver, what was like some 55,000 acre farm? I mean, (laughs) that's a lot of acres. I have three quarters of an acre in Jersey. I think that's big. Um, But Uh, but it seemed like you you, you lived like the type of life where it's success, success, success. And then, you know, people that know your backstory know that you were homeless at one point. How do we go from there to there?
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, it's, um, it's been one heck of a journey, let me tell you. And, And I joke today. Because now, now I have to have a sense of humor about it. Uh, but you know, having gone from homeless to the House of Representatives in under a decade, I tell people that's only possible in America. You know, you don't see that in other places around the world. And you know, coming from daughter of a single mom no political connections, no political experience, no nothing, certainly not money. You know, we grew up pretty, pretty poor. Um, and and it was, it was a very small cattle ranch. My mom, she was uh, a commercial sandblaster. That's our family business, commercial sandblasting. Joe, I know you're sitting there like, Ooh, sandblasting sexy. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hey, Hey, we're, we're both Aquarius. I know exactly what you're thinking. (laughs) Um, no, it's it was one of those things where I, I grew up not even really understanding the influence of politics. I just kind of thought that was the way things were, you know, watching my mom struggle as a small business owner with all the regulatory environment that was killing our small construction industry. And so naturally, from the time I was born, you know, growing up taking my first steps on job sites um, and construction sites, I really saw that I was being pulled towards a small government type of perspective. But when we lost our cattle ranch, it was an Obama era housing program. That was his signature housing program that, you know, uh, Republicans and Democrats in Washington had not bothered to even read the legislation. And if they had, they would have seen that it may have looked good in paper, but in practice, this was going to push people out of their homes. And it did millions of Americans lost their homes um, because of this government program. And, and, I remember I had just graduated college, first in my family to go to college, and I had to make a choice. Do I stay angry and do something about it, or do I just say I'm going to be angry, but I'm going to try to rebuild my life? And I decided to throw everything out the window, and I was going to do something about it, damn it. So I moved across the country and started running a campaign for a guy who had no shot of winning, and I literally didn't have a clue what I was doing. I Googled. (laughs) how to run a congressional oh. campaign that's how green i was and it's like um, googling a
3: recipe before thanksgiving you know like how do i make this <laughs>
5: exactly. Dish? exactly 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 wow.
3: that's incredible yeah. and we're talking to congresswoman uh kat Kamek. i i i i got to tell you um you know, obviously, you just won uh, your Republican nomination uh, for the third congressional district in Florida. And, and that wasn't terribly surprising, uh, given that usually once you get into Congress, uh, most people stay in Congress if, if they so choose. It's hard to vote vote somebody out. I think something like incumbents win 90 percent of the time. Uh, but Florida, what I've noticed recently is for up until last year, from from what I've read, It used to have more Democratic registered voters than Republican for the first time starting last year. Then you had slightly more Republican voters. So basically it's a Mm 50-50 state. Yet here you have a governor, Ron DeSantis, who is relatively popular, right? Is his approval somewhere in the mid-50s, which is high for anybody these days, right? (laughs) Since we're so (laughs) polarized. Uh, And he's running against Charlie Crist, who actually uh, said that he doesn't want – Anybody who supported Ron DeSantis to vote for him, which, given that DeSantis has the kind of support that he does, it's going to be hard for Chris to win if he doesn't siphon any votes over. What's the strategy there from your from your uh, perspective? And don't Google it. I,
1: well, I don't think you can Google something that idiotic. Um, or, or maybe you can. I don't know. Um, <laughs> anything's on the Internet these days. It's funny. But, uh, you know. I don't understand the logic there, and keep in mind, this is Charlie Chris we're talking about this man has been a Republican governor, he has been an independent, he has been a Democrat now, he is the ultimate chameleon, and he says whatever he thinks voters want to hear, but it's never truly who he is. I don't think anyone ever actually knows who the true real Charlie Chris is. It's kind of like that, that m m song you know it's like, will the real slim shady please stand up? Will the real Charlie Chris please stand up i <laughs> i i I don't Understand the strategy because as you said, you know, Florida used to be a battleground state. It was, I mean, Governor Ron DeSantis was barely governor. I think it was 6,000 votes when the recount was done is what the final difference was. We were very close to having Andrew Gillum, who, of course, famously or infamously now, I should say, was found, you know, with um, a prostitute and and drugs and, you know, that whole mess. We were 6,000 votes away from that. But You look today, Florida has 230,000 more registered Republicans than Democrats for the first time ever. And Charlie Crist is saying, I don't want any Republican votes. You go talk to anyone on the street. I was out today in Gainesville um, having meetings and running errands. And I talked to an independent and I talked to a handful of Democrats just running around in the stores. And they said, we love Ron. We love DeSantis. Now, I guess he doesn't want those independent or democratic votes either so he's going to be going after a very niche audience
3: (laughs) To say the least. And, and by the way, uh, uh, Charlie Crist also has chosen uh, one of the top leaders of a teachers union uh, down there in Florida as well to be his running mate. Again, if you watch the movie on the Virginia gubernatorial race with Glenn Youngkin, uh, I don't think you want to be aligned with teachers unions at this point, uh, uh, considering that parents really don't like what's being taught to their children. I have two kids uh, that are in first and third grade they'll be going into starting next week, and I'm pretty sure I don't want them being taught about gender studies or sexual orientation or id that's a conversation that my wife and i will have with them when the time is right and it's certainly not when they're seven and eight years old but but here we are but exactly. why would chris even choose a, a leader of a teachers union to be his running mate considering how unpopular teachers unions are these days
1: you know i have no idea i have teachers in my family and and they they even say the the direction of what the left is trying to do is wrong um, again, I'm not quite sure what their strategy is. He just seems to be checking all the unpopular boxes these days. And, um, maybe he thinks that that's all that's left <laughs> to go after, Perhaps. but it, it's, it's, it's crazy. You look at the first coalition that the DeSantis campaign rolled out and it was the mamas for DeSantis. You know, this is the year of the parent. It's moms and dads who were sick and tired, just like you laid out of their children, essentially being indoctrinated. And they're taking a stand. You see what we're we're seeing at the the federal level with the DOJ and parents being labeled domestic terrorists for engaging with their school board. It's absolutely ludicrous And, and we kind of feel like we're living in a clown world and conservative policies are sounding more and more common sense to your everyday average Joe. And certainly parents who have so much going on with their lives, they're trying to raise their kids, raise families, go to work, get home, you know, put dinner on the table. They've got a million things going on. Politics should be the very last thing that they're concerned about, but they realize that politics are creeping into their everyday lives in ways that they've never seen before.
3: And that's and exactly so true.
1: I, I I think that you you have a campaign with DeSantis and that they understand what people are feeling. that It's the kitchen table issues. And Charlie Crist is taking a, a very weird departure in saying, I'm going to go after these niche audiences, and I'm going to try to, to put together some kind of goulash casserole of voters that maybe don't like DeSantis for one reason or another, instead of trying to appeal broadly, which is typically what a politician would do. And at the end of the day, that's really all that he is, is a politician.
3: I think we see it more and more with Democrats these days that they govern on emotion. And, and when you do yeah. that, you just have a bunch of AOCs running around, you know, <laughs> that, that, yeah, they'll have clips that go viral and they'll get a lot of likes on Twitter. But in the end, that's not what's going to win elections. We're talking to Congresswoman Kat Kamek. And I, I want to can you explain this to me? I, you know, my dad was an accountant. I'm not very good with numbers. But <laughs> here we have, you know, this five hundred billion dollar student loan handout, which, you know, I think Penn Wharton uh, has come to the conclusion that it's going to be cost more of around a trillion dollars. And yet no yeah. one from the White House can explain it. How exactly this is going to be paid for. The White House is saying, well, it could be paid for with deficit spending. Can, can you explain uh, how that's going to work exactly?
1: Well, it, the short answer is, is it doesn't. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, it's not a loan forgiveness. This is a loan transfer. It's a debt transfer. And it essentially is just punching everyone who has made really really tough decisions and sacrifices to do the right thing and pay their loans back. It's very simple in my mind. It's a two-step process. One, you take the loan out, and two, you pay it back. And I don't think that we should be punishing um, hardworking, especially, and, and this one really gets to me because, you know, serving as the youngest Republican woman today, I'm 34 years old. I have a lot of friends and peers that are still paying their student loans off. I paid my student loans off. All of us are still kind of in that space, and I talked to a couple of friends of mine who they went off and uh, some went to medical school, some went to PA school. They went and got advanced degrees. They're still paying their loans off, and they say, you know, this is this is BS. I made the decision to do this. I I I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. Why am I now having to pay more taxes to pay for somebody's gender studies degree that they are now a barista at Starbucks?
3: That's exactly this right. Is
1: It's unfair.
3: And a majority of Americans didn't even haven't even gone to college. You know, how do they feel yeah. about this, right? So that, that's why you see Morning Consult has a pullout today. 42% of independents, you know, those people that decide elections, uh, only 42% agree with the president's policy on this. I, I want to get to one more topic with you, if I can. And we're talking to Congresswoman yeah. Kat Kamick, And this is because uh, you're like me. You, you write columns. And, and you wrote one uh, recently uh, for FloridaDaily.com uh, called Supersized IRS Minimized Wallets. Oh. Uh, you know, this is like reminds me of Walter Mondale, who was a the candidate before you were born and we only have a minute unfortunately so you have to explain this quickly but uh he he ran on raising taxes in 1984 and he won exactly one state his own of minnesota and ronald reagan won 49 so why do democrats think that supersizing the irs and going after small businesses is a great idea in an election year
1: if you talk to everyday democrats on the street they don't believe that it's real They don't think that 87,000 IRS uh, IRS agents are being hired, so I continually have to pull out the directive from the IRS commissioner and say, actually, it's in black and white. Here it is. I think that they just don't believe that there's going to be new audits on Americans making under $200,000. So I, I think they're just in denial, quite frankly. The facts are smacking them in the face, left, right, and center, and they're having a hard time wrapping their head around it because... Quite frankly, you can't walk down the sidewalk without tripping over one of Joe Biden's crises. So it's a lot to take if you're a Democrat these days. But, yeah, I I don't understand why people aren't understanding the danger of this. I don't think they understand how they are literally garnishing the wages of our kids and our grandkids by the out-of-control spending. It's what we've got to rein in, and I think that's exactly what you're going to see when Republicans take the House back this November.
3: Congresswoman, thanks so much for, for joining us. I'm sorry we're out of time. I could talk to you all day. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't believe you're 34. You're in, you're in Congress. Uh, I was in the beer pong league when I was 34, and we were good. Don't get me wrong. We, we were called Globo Gym. We were the Purple Cobras. But here you are doing important work right now, and uh, it looks like you're on your way, uh, again, to get a count the votes, of course, uh, to uh, two more years in Congress. And again, but thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for watching Fox News. I understand that you may watch the network from time to time and uh, appreciate uh, you it. adding to our ratings. We really appreciate that. That.
1: well we'll have to get our team average Joe's together and then we'll have a oh, as far as that goes
3: <laughs> she's good Peter lafleur all right that's it we could we could we could do the whole Ben Miller thing all day I am out of here thanks so much we appreciate it uh congressman thanks, we'll talk Joe. again soon Joe, Joe Concha in for Guy Benson back with more in just a moment
2: Guy Benson will be right back.
3: Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, the Guy Benson Show. There's a great exclusive here that just hit foxnews.com, which is doing great reporting. Uh, foxnews.com is a place now that, that is beating CNN.com on a regular basis. That used to be thought of as unthinkable. And, and the job that a guy named Porter Berry is, is doing there, uh, along with his team that I work with, uh, is just incredible. And, and they have this exclusive now about border agents. That That talked to foxnews.com exclusively, talking about how <laughs> ignorant the press secretary and Karine Jean Pierre is in her claim that illegal immigrants are not simply walking across the border quote "How out of touch can this administration possibly be? one agent told Fox News, well, I guess this is a new level, and, and remember that this is when and it's such a great point, why somebody unvaccinated. And remember, most of these folks are coming from places like Guatemala or Honduras or poor countries that don't have vaccines or have very little access to it. So there's a very, very, very good chance that these migrants are crossing the border illegally and are not vaccinated. They're allowed to come into the country. They're allowed to stay. Right. And and, and that's that's where we are at this point. And we're talking millions of people. But Novak Djokovic, right, who has been number one, I believe, 373 consecutive weeks. It's like an all time record. He's not allowed to enter the United States because he won't get vaccinated, despite the fact that he has had COVID not once but twice, has natural immunity, is probably as in shape as anybody in the world. Obviously, even if he isn't vaccinated, even if he doesn't have immunity, there's a 99.999% chance that Djokovic is going to be just fine and he can't play in the U.S. Open. But if you're unvaccinated... You're allowed in this country and can even get busted in New York, which is kind of ironic on many levels. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. Tom Chaloux coming up next on this big, big show. Please do stick around.
2: Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson.
3: I am knocking myself silly here as far as what song this is. It's from the '90s. Weezer. Thank you. I wanted to see if Tom got it. You have to throw it in my ear right away. Would you have gotten that if I said what song? I this don't
7: is? know if I would. I recognized it. Uh, you know, I've sung "Barbershop" with Weezer. No. Yeah, they love barbershop. Wow. Uh, and if you go see Weezer in concert, I think you might catch some, because uh, they do a cappella. They put their instruments down and they'll do uh, a cappella. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, they love it. They're funky.
3: Yeah. That's awesome. We're talking to Tom Shalhoub, by the way, if you're wondering who that voice is. It's a very familiar voice, obviously. Uh, Comedian, also the author of Mean Dads for a Better America, and hosting Kennedy tonight, yeah. I believe, on the Fox Business Network. Excellent. Good for Filling you. Filling
7: in for Kennedy. There's a lot going on on that show. Yeah, There is. It's always like, you know, panels, experts, craziness. It's great.
3: I like the background. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most colorful background. The, the Kennedy logo is, is tremendous. And, you know, you can catch, obviously, Tom on Gutfeld as well. The, the news is out today, by the way. The first cable news show, Tom, to win late night for an entire month. And I don't think what people appreciate about Greg Gutfeld's success is that you take these shows like Colbert or Kimmel, Right, yeah, or Fallon or any of these broadcast shows. I think I've read that Stephen Colbert has something like seventeen writers. Right, yeah, and this whole production staff. I bet and, he has more. He
7: probably has seventeen just of the traditional writers. But then he's got sketch, you know, sketch writers and and producers. And I mean, the numbers oh, are unbelievable. Writers, really? Yeah, they they go crazy. These shows are they're loaded. And Gutfeld's got like five people. You five know? people. It's yeah. The same
3: people doing the same stuff every day, but we have a blast. It's amazing. And and, and Gutfeld comes from obviously Red Eye from way back when. Uh, and, and then eventually got the weekly weekend show. And now again, a lot of people say, all right, well, it's, it's Fox news and, you know, people want their politics. This shows that people, particularly Fox news viewers, they want to laugh sometimes too. You know, they want to have a good time. And, and Roger Ailes used to have an old saying way back when that, uh, Fox news, um, is successful because they found their niche audience. Half the country, yeah, right. <laughs> and when exactly and when Kimmel and Colbert and Fallon are all doing the same stuff, which is basically Donald Trump, you know, punchline, right? there's such an opportunity for this that I'm shocked it it took so long for somebody to say, hey, you know what? Maybe there's that other audience that's being neglected is finally uh, get, getting a shake here. You do Joe Biden on that show, Tom.
7: Yeah. I don't know how that happened. You know, I, <laughs> Did I, you volunteer it? Well, yeah, I actually did because I was fooling around with my phone one day and I was watching Biden. And then I, I squinted into my phone and I was like, come on, man, come on. I started, you know, just kind of talking into my phone. And it was hard to get his voice because he's. He goes, he goes up high, yeah, you know, and then he goes down low, you know. So it's kind of like sometimes. Too. Hey, come on, man, you know, come on, it's like that, you know. Uh, but other times he's like, "Oh, we're gonna get you here. We got it. I got him in F fifteen. Come on, man." You know, he goes down. <laughs> so I was kind of going up and down with it, and then I shot a thing on my phone and I sent it to Greg. Yeah, and he wrote back, "OMG, he couldn't believe it because I I had just nailed it enough in a in a one you know thirty second bit." He said, "That's going on the show tonight." So I had sh- wow. I shot it on my phone. He popped it onto the show tonight. That's what's great about Gutfeld is that it's not you know on a on a show with a with a higher budget and and more higher staff arky. and everything. Yeah, you would have to go through several levels of. Uh, you know, and then they might say, "Well, oh, let's get a camera crew. We'll, uh, you know, we'll do a green screen. We'll do the lighting. Oh. We'll do the..." And then all, all of a sudden, it's not funny anymore. Like, what happened? You know. <laughs> so, I did something. It made me laugh. I sent it to Greg. He popped it on the show. It made the audience laugh. So the next day, he said, "Hey, can we do another Joe?" So it then it just became a thing.
3: Did you have to get into character uh, for that first – in other words, we talked about not having many resources before. Like how do you morph into looking enough like Joe Biden?
7: Yeah, it's a little trickery. It's a little bit – it's the – it's a little bit of my face, and it's a little bit of uh, digital trickery that I –
3: Because you're I, 38, and you got to look like an 80-year-old ness, exactly, so that's got to be exactly. – that's got to be tough. That's funny. Is it a gray wig? Is that, is that what uh, – uh, Well, one?
7: it's – I mean I'm not even going to reveal the process I go okay. through, but I'll tell you. It's low budget,
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It's I laugh. using
7: very available things. That's
3: you know, there's nothing. There's no. There's nothing fancy about it. Oh man, did you see Roy uh, Rob Schneider's interview recently? I think it was with the Blaze, uh, maybe Glenn Beck. Uh, but he talked about how Saturday Night Live jumped the shark. Yeah, and this was when, and and I wrote about this actually in, in my book that's coming out next month about 2016. Donald Trump wins the election. Saturday Night Live. It's their first show back. And Kate McKinnon does a rendition of Alleluia, right? Yeah. And, and and Rob Schneider in this interview says, I just kept yelling at the screen, there better be a joke at the end. And then it never came. You remember Kate McKinnon, who's dressed up as Hillary Clinton and sings this song and the lights are dimmed. And she says, I'm not going to give up and neither should you. And live from New York, it's Saturday night. Yeah. You're like, wait, that's it? What the F did I just see? What did it mean? I'm yeah. not
7: going to give up. I mean, I guess there was a, a punchline to it and that was that... That half the country that we just talked about was just laughing and laughing right. That's at good point. the obsequiousness of it, of the self-aggrandizing uh, uh, and the, moral, the moralizing, the idea that it was, this was an occasion for uh, – like th- they were at a funeral.
3: Right. What was it? I that's mean, what it looked
7: like. At the funeral of Hillary's career, I guess, and that's what was
3: making people laugh. <laughs> the, the, the country just died, I suppose. Was was the uh, symbolism of the whole thing? And we're talking to Tom Chaloux. He is the author of Mean Dads for a Better America. Uh, you know, we we talked about that right before we came on, and this is basically a, a book about you growing up. Yeah, and different stories that emerged from your household, where everybody has a, a few funny stories, I would imagine.
7: My, my dad was a mean dad, and I I make fun of him in my act, and he. Uh, I you know I would say he was like Darth Vader with a Boston accent. Oh jeez. You know and it, it's 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 kind of ribbing my dad but he got a kick out of it because he goes yeah I was I was scary. I was trying to scare you kids into being good American citizens, you oh, know. Boy. So he was a disciplinarian. The people in our neighborhood were disciplinarians. So I started just writing stories about all these things in my childhood the way that you know uh, a neighbor would you know, they, they would grab you by the collar and they would, you know, they'd say, hey, you know, they'd discipline you. And people say, I can't believe that. That's terrible. You were an abused child. And I'm like, we weren't abused, all right? It was, that's the way life was. Yeah, We were all scared of our dads and, uh, and our moms. And, you know, the, we, but we still, we survived. So it was a less sensitive culture. Uh, it was not as, um, it was not as about feelings, you know, but somehow- are we can deal with our feelings better than this generation? Why is that?
3: Precisely. Do you think fear is the greatest motivator when raising kids?
7: I I think so, and I you know I say that, and my kids kind of laugh because they say, Dad, you know they? uh, now they're thirteen and sixteen. Okay, so Funny. you know, but they they're, they're good kids, and they they're raised you know not just by us but by their community. We have a lot of uh, great families that we know in our kind of Catholic community. We have this kind of Catholic uh, you know gang that we mm-hmm. hang out with. And, uh, you know, we're going up to a camp this weekend. We have a summer camp. Oh, wow. Yeah. During COVID, when everything shut down, it was, I mean, the summer camps were shut down. So this this thing, the the one healthy thing, the the one thing that's good for you, getting out in the great outdoors, they had canceled that. Okay. So we said, we're not going to do that. So we rented a summer camp. We said, hey, can we rent your camp? And they said, yeah. So we pulled our money together and we gave them their rental fee, whatever it was for a week, and all of us, all our friends, there's about 150 of us, went to this camp up in the kind of Catskills area, really? and we went to camp, and everyone sneezed on each other, and we sang songs around a campfire, yeah. and we totally broke all the COVID rules. I mean, that, that was the way we did it. And right? how many people tested positive for COVID?
3: None. That's the thing, right? None. None. It's amazing. My, my kids were in mass, and we're talking to Tom Shaloo until March of this year, which is amazing to think about, New Jersey. Yeah. public schools. Right. And the funny thing happened was at, when they, I remember the day it was March 7th, the day after when they went to no mass for the rest of the year, there were no COVID cases. <laughs> right. So after all that, there were COVID cases before that, when they were wearing masks, I'm not saying the masks caused COVID, but it, it made no difference. Right. And we look back on that time and it's just insane. I mean, I was just talking about Novak Djokovic, right. The, the best tennis player in the world. He yep. can't play at the U S open, even though he's had COVID twice even though he played in it last year when he was unvaccinated, and even though there's 23,000 people in Arthur Ashe stadium who don't have to show vaccination cards, but no, he can't be allowed in that stadium because why, you it's know, and really I'm remarkable. so glad you rented that camp because yeah. that, that's a case study right there. And we're, we're talking to Tom Shalhoub who was once with the daily show as a correspondent. That's right. During the John Stewart era. Now this is a different show then, right? I mean, Stewart, I understand he was left leaning, But he did go after both sides, right? And that's what made him so effective because you never knew what the show was going to do on a particular night as opposed to now where it seems a little more predictable. Well, just as an artist watching him – because I worked for Kilbourne. At the, oh, at the Craig! Start. That's
7: right. And then he came from ESPN. Yes, and then I stayed. So it was the Daily Show with Craig Kilborn. Then he left, and they they took on Jon Stewart. And John Stewart now was not only the star of the show, but he was the the head of it and the executive producer and the head writer. Oh, wow. And he he changed the way that show was. It was a show that was kind of making fun of everyday Americans. You know, we would kind of go out in the to the heartland and interview people and kind of make that. Uh, that store owner look uh, like a rube, you know, or that yeah. farmer or, you know. And yeah. he said, no, no we're not going to make fun of average Joe anymore. We're going to make fun of the powerful. And so he said, let's go after the politicians, not the average person. So he changed that show. Yeah. And I, I saw it. It was amazing to see the force of artistic will, the way he kind of forced his vision on the show. And, of course, it was hugely successful. And then after a few years – he got in, you know, the, a bit of the Bush derangement syndrome, and the show became just a kind of left wing screed. But if you look at the beginning, yeah. the show was quite excellent.
3: Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Now John's obviously an activist and, and and doing good work at least for veterans, but seems to be drawing a lot of attention to himself as well. I, I I have mixed feelings on the way he goes about things. Yeah, but you can tell the thing is he always had that sensibility.
7: He. He got a little damaged by politics, the way that people, they just, their minds explode and they become, they, they, they start to look, back in those days it was Bush, worst president ever, then it became Trump. They always put their, uh, all their energy on one person, but Stewart always wants to be a good person and he's kind of infected with that idea of the JFK, as not what your country can do for you, but we, you can do for your country. Sure. So it's a good motivation and he's a good guy and he's obviously a funny guy. Uh, But once again, once you start taking yourself too seriously and you you make yourself an advocate for change rather than laughs, it's not going to go well.
3: I I, I don't know the exact history around this as far as if you broke a glass ceiling of some kind, but I believe you're the only person ever to jump from Comedy Central to Fox News.
7: I I think so. In fact, I used to love to use that as my intro, and it's still kind of one of my proudest things when I did – Uh, Stephen Colbert show. When my book came out, I was booked on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Wow! and I got on the show, and my intro was, he says, my next guest was a correspondent on The Daily Show and on Fox News. And the audience laughed like they thought it was a joke. Right. Because they thought that can't happen. Uh, but it did. Yeah. So did he I think treat you fairly because he, he knew did. you? He did. He did. Because I worked on The Daily Show with him and he remembered me. Right. So, you know, there's guys like that. You watch The, the Colbert Show and, you know, I, I'm, there's probably a lot of people in the audience. They think, no, the guy is just annoying. He's terrible, whatever. But like most people, they're nice to their colleagues. And I worked – he knew I worked with him on The Daily Show. So when he saw me – I was even kind of tickled that he remembered me. He said, you know, the last time I saw you was on 55th Street after the show. And I said, yes, that's right. Oh, wow.
3: Yeah. But he didn't go after Fox anyway. like A, a couple- little bit. Okay. Because you know? his audience would expect that, I'd imagine. He has a target in front of him and he has to yes. do something. Yes. But
7: it was, you know, he knew I was there to plug my book. He promoted the book. I thought it was quite nice and, you know. And then afterwards, people, you know, I said, hey, I'm on the late show. Yeah, that jerk, whatever. I'm like, come on, everyone be nice. He was just
3: nice to me. Let's all be nice for the night, and I'll sell a few books. And it worked <laughs> out pretty well. Uh, Jay Leno, uh, Tom Shalou also uh – was in late night for years, number one for many years, probably wasn't treated very well towards the end of his career. Obviously, Uh, Conan O'Brien would make the same argument the way he was treated by NBC. Not a lot of people treated well over at NBC. Uh, But here you have the president of the United States uh, has not done a sit-down interview with anybody considered to be a journalist in 200 days. Okay, that's the Super Bowl. That was the last time he's done a sit-down interview. But he is finding time to talk cars with Jay Leno. Uh, In in terms of the guy that, that you portray... Is it because you think his handlers tell him we don't want you to talk to anybody because that's too many cleanups and it's always all five for some reason cleanups and all five or all seven uh, and and that's the safer way to go? It's like the campaign all over again. Oh yeah, I mean I don't think they want him near
7: anyone who's going to ask him a question. And he's speaking with Jay Leno, and we're kind of laughing about that. But I think the Jay Leno interview was going to be a tougher interview than the Lester Holt interview. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they find people that are going to be easy. You know, Lester Holt talks so slow. Right And he's just very you know it's the kind of thing that Joe can keep up with, but you see uh what Ducey does with uh, his press secretary they yeah. don't want they don't want uh Biden in front of Ducey, and when he does when Ducey gets a question for Biden, whether he's just you know walking through the room or on the tarmac yeah. Uh, he usually just makes
3: a cry. He laughs and he he tries to make a joke out of it because he can't answer his questions. That's right. Called him a stupid son of a bitch at one point. That's absolutely. right. That's true. Now I've been in, on your your Fox Nation show. That was was great. And then COVID, unfortunately, uh, we we had to. We couldn't do it anymore. We couldn't come into the studio, right? Yeah. Uh, I know. It was basically a show where we just breathed in each other's faces. (laughs) Right. Pretty much. But, (laughs) you know, the questions were so creative. So then I I have come up with some questions for you. Ah, some quiz questions. Since you're in my dojo, okay? I decided to to keep it confined to movies, okay? Yep. So these are four questions. Now, on your show, you would at least give multiple choice. Yeah. Okay? Here I may give you an either or, or you may just have to name it outright. Mm -hmm. Okay? We ready? All right. Here we go. First question. In The Matrix... Does Neo, that's Keanu Reeves, take the blue pill or the red pill? Oh, uh, he does take the red pill. The red pill is correct. He's one for one. Do we have any ding-ding sounds or anything? There it is. All right. Thank you. All right. Question number two. What critically panned 1984 country musical comedy starring Dolly Parton and Sylvester Stallone, when you think about that, how that happened, eventually become a cult classic? What was that called? Is that the best little whorehouse in Texas? Nope. Oh, it is the Rhinestone Cowboy. Ah, Close, though. I think she
7: starred in that, though. She was in Best Little Horror House, right? Yeah. Uh, and Rhinestone Cowboy, which is a great Glen Campbell song. I guess I forgot that there was a movie by that name.
3: Yep, that's right. Okay, it's one for two. That's not that's not horrible. I should have done multiple choice there, but you could have chosen. You may have gone the same direction, though, I have a feeling. Probably. All right. This is an interesting question. I'm going to give you a hint on this one because it's so broad. Okay? What is the highest-grossing R-rated movie of all time? Hint, it stars... Joaquin Phoenix.
7: Oh. Joaquin Phoenix. Fe- is it uh, the highest grossing R-rated? Yeah. It's got to be Joker.
3: Correct. Yeah. Okay. I thought I might throw you off because he was in Gladiator as well, which he did very, very well. But uh-huh. Joker apparently broke all records. Go figure. And finally, oh, by the way, who do you think is the best Joker? Is it Nicholson, Heath Ledger, or Joaquin Phoenix?
7: Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I was going to say Joaquin because he w- he's quite talented, but Heath Ledger is... It's hard to say between the two, and they're, they're, they're quite different. Yeah. But Heath Ledger, uh, I'm going to go with Heath, Heath Ledger because he's, he's dead. Thank you. I mean, you know, he's no longer
3: here. He right. You have to some show respect. some respect. All yeah. right. Final question, then we have to go. What is the name of Quint's shark hunting boat in Jaws? What's the name oh. of the boat? Yeah, that's the, uh, it's the orca. That's correct! Yeah! Oh, you see the mind working there? The hamsters roll We're gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> Three or four, yes, that's right. All right, well, that's a record, because we've never done it on the show before. Yeah. So, for now, thank you, Tom Chaloux. Excellent. We appreciate it. Tune to Kenny tonight on the Fox News Channel, 7 p.m. Eastern Live. Time. Live. Live! TV, man! That's right. Uh, lost art in this society, believe me. Joe Caccia in for Guy Benson. Back with more in just a moment.
2: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
3: So we've talked a lot about collusion, or lack thereof, over the past five years. Joe Concha filling in for Guy Benson on The Guy Benson Show, by the way. But there is actual collusion happening between big tech giants and the political party they serve at the pleasure of, the Democratic Party, of course. And we saw it with Parler, right, not too long ago. Apple wouldn't allow that app on their App Store. Google wouldn't allow it on the Google Play Store. And Amazon would not allow it on its cloud services. That basically put parlor out of business and i know they're back now but it's it's not the same right so why would they all do that it's it's a social media platform it's an exchange of ideas uh and and parlor now as a result is a shadow of what it, what it once was when it really was up and coming and, and and now with the elon Musk purchase of twitter it looks completely dead we're going to see these companies acting the same way leading up to the 2024 election again because with true social by the way the reason why i bring this up that's trump's social media outlet google will not allow that on its google play store again why not what are you afraid of exactly anyway joe concha in for guy benson great great show stick around we got more coming
2: It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson.
3: Oh, it's a very eventful happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Joe Concha filling in for Mr. Benson on this Last day of August. Why is it summer goes by so much faster than winter? My God, it was Memorial Day like five minutes ago from what I remember. Fox and Friends sent me down to Charlotte Motor Speedway. We had a great time, and I swear I felt that was like last week. But here we are, Labor Day weekend, just two days away. By the way, this is the happy hour portion of The Guy Benson Show. It's sponsored by, as you may have heard, the Finnish long drink, which is tremendous. I mean, I'm not big On too many alcohols that that come out these days, everything's in a can. There's vodka in a can. You got all these beers that are all like fizzy and everything. That's not beer to me. You know, Budweiser's beer. But the finished long drink, per guy's recommendation, I had at my last barbecue and it was a huge hit. So uh, definitely go out and get your finished long drink wherever liquor is sold near you. Uh, Speaking of labor and Labor Day, uh, one of the hardest working men in Washington is Peter Ducey, who may or may not be a semi-neighbor of mine. I guess he doesn't live in where I live, in Wyckoff anymore. And that's a little place in New Jersey. But my kids are going to the elementary school that he went to. Uh, let's see. I guess Peter's probably in his early 30s. Eh, we're talking like 25, 30 years ago. Uh, and they're getting a great education so far. But Peter then went uh, from the uh, Wyckoff Public School Uh, system, which is excellent, to Villanova University. He was a Wildcat, Bryn Mawr, uh, the great basketball teams. And then he goes to work for Fox News covering Capitol Hill, which is real, real grunt work, right? And now he's the White House correspondent for Fox News, and seemingly uh, is is gaining headlines every day. Not that Peter ever makes himself the story; he just happens to ask good questions and has sparred with Jen Psaki and now Corinne Jean Pierre, the White House press secretary, under Joe Biden uh, almost on a daily basis, including today, Peter, where you asked her about the fentanyl crisis, which is killing a record number of Americans, Uh, more Americans between 18 and 49 die of opioid overdoses, primarily from fentanyl than any other. Yet we barely hear the administration talk about it. So just review for us exactly what that give and take was. And more importantly, what prompted you to go with that question today? And how do you prep in general in terms of what you want to ask the white house press secretary about welcome to the show, by the way,
6: it's good to be here. Thank you very much. Um, You know, I, I just heard about this new kind of fentanyl this morning, the rainbow fentanyl that the cartels are targeting children with. It's supposed to look like candy or sidewalk chalk. Either one is bad because if you eat it, you can overdose. And if you even just touch it because you think it's chalk, something that kids should not have to worry about, uh, you can overdose. And if you don't overdose, uh, you might just be hooked on opioids then. And they're going after kids. And the last time that we had one of these briefings was two days ago. And the press secretary told me that it's not like people are just walking across the border into this country, which we know based on – all available data, and also from talking to our teams down at the border, that's not true. And today she said, well, we're securing the border with all this money, and we're apprehending some drugs, but we know it's not true. 300 overdoses a day. The life expectancy in the United States is down more than two years just since 2019 it hasn't dropped like that in a century reason number one COVID reason number two drug overdoses driven by fentanyl and so to answer your question about how I came up with this question I heard about this uh, this rainbow fentanyl this morning and I my wife and I don't have kids yet but if I had a kid right now in school uh, I would be petrified of this stuff because once it's out there it is really hard to detect
3: and Peter, I, I am as as somebody who has uh, my son just turned seven. My my daughter is eight. You're right. If they think it's chalk, they'll touch it. They'll play with it. If they think it's candy, they'll they'll eat it. And and, and I I just it, just to get to that level of evil where where you're targeting kids, uh, this is something that you mentioned it three hundred overdose deaths per day, uh, we had a guest on Fox News did uh, with Dana Perino earlier on america 's newsroom. It was a parent who lost their child and, and the parent said, "Look, we just came from a normal family right and and it, one day our child is dead, and it, she equated three hundred overdoses and I think this is a very fitting analogy to one plane crash happening in the United States per day. And what would happen? She said the aviation system would be shut down. If we were losing a plane a day with 300 people yet, the administration doesn't seem to be talking about this all that much. Is it because Peter, it's not politically expedient at this point, given that there are millions coming across the border, something like plus 4 million will come over the border in Joe Biden's first two years. And therefore, since he hasn't visited the border, if they don't talk about it, it goes away.
6: Well, uh- I, I think it is not politically expedient for them. I was working on my piece for a Brett Baer's show tonight that's going to run uh, less than an hour from now, and Quinnipiac's got a new poll out, 27 percent approval for the president on the situation at the Mexican border. Uh, so we don't hear him talk a lot about that. We also don't hear him talk a ton about what he has said is his number one domestic priority, which is... Lowering inflation. Instead, now it's all about democracy. They think that Republicans who either are loyal to Trump or have been loyal in the past to Trump are threatening the very underpinnings of our system. Uh, and so that's what he talked about last week in Rockville, Maryland. That's what he's going to talk about tomorrow night in philadelphia and and they're going with that they told us today that kareem jump here told us today the theme of the speech tomorrow is the battle for the soul of the nation does that sound familiar because that was his exact campaign slogan in 2020 they are just trying to go with what works because according to some of this polling uh americans are not on their side. Uh, Americans don't know that a lot else is working.
3: And we're talking to White House correspondent Peter Ducey, uh for Fox News Channel. And and look, so yeah, some may say that that uh, may be deflection to, to not talk about the issues that Americans say are most important to them, which is inflation, obviously, gas prices, crime, student loans, education, and what we just talked about at the border. Uh, in our final two minutes here, Peter, and I, I know that you have to go uh, just in a couple minutes, but I, I am curious, you know, on your backstory in terms of when you get out of school at Villanova, was the goal eventually to be a White House correspondent, or did you just say, you know what, I'd like to cover politics, and I'll end up where I end up, or did you have the five-year plan that said, you know what, that's the goal eventually?
6: No, because, and you know, in this business, um, there are not always jobs open, and you don't know how long somebody's going to be in a job, and so When I was lucky enough to start at Fox shortly after I graduated, I just wanted, I was just interested in the news. I wanted to go see the country and be, uh, you know, lay eyes on some of these big events. And uh, I, I had a chance to do that for like my first five years. And then the next five years, I did a lot of House races and Senate races. Um, And then in in 2020, throughout the pandemic, I I wound up spending a lot of time in Wilmington, Delaware, just kind of trying to find Joe Biden, then former (laughs) Vice President uh, Biden. And to his credit, uh, like long before I got to the White House and my uh, these briefings with Jen Psaki or Karine Jean-Pierre, Biden loves to mix it up. He he always has an ear out for a question, and he'll – he will uh, take – He takes a lot of opportunities to defend his position. Uh, So he he is not one to – in my experience, run from a hard question. So I always have to have a hard question ready.
3: Well, I would love to see the president sit down with you for a one-on-one where follow-ups could actually uh, be asked in that situation. The president has not done a one-on-one TV interview since Lester Holt in the Super Bowl in 200 days. I have a feeling that may not happen, but you will get your question in here and there. And uh, you're doing your job the way it should be done, Peter, which is not making it about yourself and just asking the questions that people want answers for at home. And we really appreciate your work here, and we really appreciate joining us thank you fellow Wykoffian
6: yeah it's it's good talking to you Joe I'll talk to you soon
3: all right Peter thank you so much and Joe Concha filling in for Guy Benson got so much more to talk about we're going to talk to Jason Chaffetz uh, a little bit later in the show and then Christine the producer and I are going to go back and forth on talk about the subjects and the issues that you care about including including what it takes to be a U.S. ball boy or girl or person That's next on The Guy Benson Show.
2: Stick around. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
3: So, without any coordination whatsoever, the song that was chosen to come out of the commercial here was the song that I walked into at my wedding. Yes. I thought it was a cool thing to walk out to. But it's Coldplay. You know, it's not like classical music or anything like that. I think it's okay that I think Coldplay's a cool band. You guys want to weigh in on this? I mean, I think there's a great body of work there, but apparently that makes me feminine in some way.
5: No, I like Coldplay too. You do? Yeah, and Guy just went to see him too. He loves them. Yeah.
3: Got- they played around here? I uh, in
5: London, this. he was he went to see him. Oh, a guy yeah. went to go
3: see Coldplay in London. <laughs> did he go to Wimbledon also? Uh,
5: I don't know.
3: You hang out with Meghan Markle. Actually, they're not over in London anymore, so that would be a relevant uh, thing to ask.
4: No, she's Meghan is in California working on forgiving the royal family. Do you not listen to her podcast?
3: Oh, that's a good point. No, apparently not many people do. Unbelievable. I it's so fun to root. I don't root against most people. Those are two that I root against. No what? question.
4: Why you root against Harry and Meghan?
3: Yeah. Just like I wrote it have uh, an audience stormy you know just there 's people that' I think it's a little different but that's that 's a very good point actually you know it 's funny because I, I guess I really haven 't been able to talk about it that much on the show but uh, you know with, with Brian Stelter now what are we at now what is the world has not been without has been without Brian Stelter on c n n for nine no ten days now at this point right and and this was the guy Stelter, if you remember who said that he took Michael Avenatti seriously as a presidential contender because of how much he was on cable news. Which, of course, that completely qualifies somebody to you know, be the leader of the free world. Uh, and Avenatti did become president, by the way. I don't know if you heard about this, Christine. He's president of a cell block over at Rikers. So good for him.
2: <laughs> Aww,
3: Congratulations to Michael um, Avenatti. Uh, also a president of the uh, debate team. So things going well for Michael Avenatti, who was also was born on my birthday, right down to the year. February 16th, fill in the year. Go figure. Boy, talk about being born under a bad star. Anyway, uh, this is breaking very recently. Uh, a reporter asked uh, Dr. Jill Biden uh, how the president's student loan forgiveness program helps bring down the cost of higher education. And continuing a very dubious streak out of this White House, here's how the first lady responded. Quote, Well, he said he was going to have loan forgiveness during the campaign, and he talked about it over and over again. And he followed up on his promise and kept true to it, to which then the reporter, good for the reporter, said, OK, but how is this program going to bring down the cost of higher education? To which then the reporters were yelled out of the room by that person who always yells reporters Out of the room. So now we have the the White House press secretary to the president to the vice president to the first lady and anybody else who has a D next to their name who still can't explain how this thing that costs a trillion dollars is going to be paid for. And again, they don't give the answer because they know what the answer is. You, you get to pay for it, the American taxpayer. Congratulations. Again, I I keep waiting for that refund for my wife who just paid off her student loans. Uh, And Christine, I believe you just paid off your student loans as well. Is that correct? I sure did. Wow. So you think like a a retroactive refund uh, check will be coming? Reparations, as it were? It should, but I know it won't. It won't, right? Oh, boy. I'm sure you're happy about this. No question about it. Uh, Anyway, Corinne Jean-Pierre. Who I may have mentioned earlier is the worst press secretary that that we have ever seen and and look i I have praised democratic press secretaries. I happen to think that Robert Gibbs, who was the press secretary press secretary under uh, President Obama, the first one, was quite good, right uh, the, the guy that was uh oh boy, now I'm blanking and I'm really embarrassing myself. <laughs> This is horrible. Uh, Bill Clinton had a press secretary as well, uh, who I thought Mike McCurry. Thank you. Jeez. You know, you turn my age, you turn 41 and suddenly the brain begins to go. Uh, He was excellent. Right. And then obviously Dana Perino uh, under uh, George W. Bush and Ari Fleischer, uh, excellent press secretaries as well. Uh, So this isn't a Democrat Republican thing, uh, but. You listen to Karine Jean-Pierre, and again, the binder comes out, and she can't even lie well. I mean, give Jen Psaki credit. I mean, boy, th- that gal could spin, right? And and sounded like that that, that girl from American Pie at one time at Bandcamp. By the way, Psaki, who apparently there was a bidding war for her, CNN, MSNBC, we got to have her, we got to have her, right? And then she leaves her position at the White House at the end of April, and I've barely seen her. I mean, you sign her, put her on the air right? I believe there's an election that's coming up in something like 70 days. Let's see what she's got. Remember, she was a CNN before she went to go work for Joe Biden. And I wrote about this in my book. The chapter is called Sockey Bomb. And if everybody thinks she's going to be such a great cable news pundit, gee, I don't remember any clips on CNN during all the Trump years where you're like, wow, boy, she's good. What I conclude in the book is that she has an authenticity problem, right? And she is slightly condescending in her answers and people at home don't like to be condescended to. They don't like being patronized. And Jen Psaki is those two things outside of being, you know, dishonest. So I, I just find it interesting that MSNBC, they they sign her for all this money and all this fanfare. And if they wait too long, suddenly the shine is off, right? You should have put her on right away, first day that she's out of the White House. She should be on your air and often and instead I've barely seen her. You'll find, like, Adam Kinzinger at Mar-a-Lago before you find Jen Psaki in front of a microphone at MSNBC. I'm just saying. That's it. But anyway, the aforementioned uh, Korean Jean-Pierre. Let's play Cut 25 again because this this exchange is so remarkable. And probably in a series of very bad moments for this press secretary, this had to be the worst. Cut 25, go.
6: How come migrants are allowed to come into this country unvaccinated but world-class tennis players are not?
4: Are you, you're talking about which world-class tennis player? Novak
6: Djokovic. <laughs>
4: so they're two different things. They're two different things.
6: But so are, how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated, they're allowed to stay.
7: But, why but that's not how it works like we actually no
6: happening. I know that that's not what you guys want to happen but that is what what is happening but
7: that's not it's not like somebody walks over and
6: <laughs> that's not that's yeah, not they how it's yeah, happening we well, thousands of people are walking in a day some of them turn themselves over some of them are caught tens of thousands a week are not that is what is happening
3: That is what's happening. That's true. You see how Ducey handled that? This is what I'm talking about. He doesn't go the full Jim Acosta and start giving speeches, right, and monologues. He's simply saying... He asks a question and then he follows up, if need be, when the press secretary is lying and she was lying there, but doesn't raise his voice, doesn't get emotional and isn't writing a, a book about himself needing fainting couches every time uh, in, in the case of Jen Psaki, insulted him, said that his questions were written for him. No, that that's never happened, by the way. I, I love this fact that this little uh, myth about Fox News that somehow there's this very secret meeting that all of us as contributors and hosts and anchors are on in the morning and then we're told by a very, very high Source that this is the narrative that we want to push, and this is what we want you to push. I can guarantee you, and you know why I can guarantee this because people that have perhaps worked at this network and are no longer here or at a rival network will say the same exact thing. Right. They could take the cheap shot, but they don't because they, 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 they this has never happened before. No one tells us what to say on this network. All right. There is no central narrative that we're told to push. Right. There, there is no grand scheme. Right. When I when I'm on the air, I'm given a topic. That's it. No questions. And by the way, the anchors don't even know the questions are going to ask. It's called doing your job organically. Right. Uh, Impromptuously. There's no questions written down. No one writes down questions. You have a topic and you ask about it and that's it. So you know when Saki said, "Well, Peter Ducey has his questions written out for him." I mean, please, good lord! But, uh, but same thing with Kareem Jean Pierre. Uh, yeah, people aren't are just walking across the border. There's video. There's proof. Bill Malusion every day, and not just a couple of guys. We're talking hundreds of people. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. We got Jason Chaffetz coming up, and then. Our great producer, Christine, and I go back and forth on the topics that you really, really care about. Trust me. Back with more in just a moment.
2: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
3: Welcome back to Happy Hour, Guy Bench's show. Earlier, we spoke to Fox News contributor Jason Chaffetz. Chaffetz literally in the house talking about rampant bias in the FBI. Give a listen. You're a writer uh, outside of books. You also write columns for foxnews.com. And you had a very interesting one out yesterday about Stacey Abrams. Uh, The title, Stacey Abrams worked two full-time jobs during her 2018 run for governor. How did she do it? Stacey Abrams was a fortunate political candidate. She received a full-time salary for a 40-hour work week while simultaneously running for public office. And she almost won. So what's the deal? How could you work two jobs and run for, you know, not run for mayor, right? This is the governor of Georgia. Look, I, I guess the
0: overarching thing, the question, and this is what we continue to pose. How is it that you go from being a public servant Somebody is working on the state House of Representatives, running for governor, raising $40 million as she did. yeah. And over the course of time, become worth a couple million dollars, you know. And so a a lot of questions there that that still need to be, you know, answered along the way. But um, it'll be fascinating to see what happens in this race. I think the political climate is changing there in Georgia. I mean, it it really is changing because – Suddenly the polls are going a different direction. And I think in politics in general, I mean, we're paying attention to politics day to day, but oh, yeah. a big, huge portion of the population, it's after Labor Day. and But th- at the same time, you also have early voting that has really pushed this thing up to, to much earlier in the process.
3: Yeah. How early would you agree to is, is a logical time? Because I think voting in this country is probably one of the easiest things to do. We always hear about right. voter suppression, and then we saw what happened in Georgia, right? Stacey Abrams, her signature issue was that votes, particularly among minorities, were being suppressed in that state as a result of Jim Crow 2.0. You know, right. that horrible law that had the All-Star game moved from Atlanta to Denver, right? right. And, and all that happened last November was they had a record turnout. They basically doubled the amount of votes that were voted in the 2022 midterms as opposed to 2018 or 2021, I guess I should say, as as opposed to four years earlier. So if she doesn't have that issue to run on, she can't run on the Democrats' record on inflation or crime or the border. So... I don't see how she
0: wins here. Do you? I I don't know. I mean, Joe Biden comes to town, right? And uh,
3: oh, she has Scheduling another up, like, obligation. People's makes... schedules are really crowded in yeah, Ohio you know, and Georgia, aren't it, they? Pennsylvania, in
0: Pennsylvania, <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing how the president of the United States comes and whoops, I'm going to be, you know, doing a a local knock on door. Event I I don't know I I I think the Democrats overall have this this problem and challenge and I think that's why they want to change the subject you know what because yeah. you're right immigration inflation crime what do they run on and and they try to blame Republicans but the, when the Democrats have the House the Senate and the presidency and the country overwhelmingly believes the country's on the wrong track who yeah. else are they you know it was Donald Trump's fault it was Vladimir
3: Putin's job, uh, fault. Come on. So they're trying to make this election, this midterms coming up, a referendum on Donald Trump, who hasn't oh, yeah. been in office in 21 months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is it working? If we look at that, let me get your thoughts on this, that New York special election just a couple of weeks yeah. ago where the Democrat beat the Republican and everybody says, "Ah, see, that shows that Democrats could take back or keep the House in this case. But then again, if you look at 2020, Joe Biden won that district by 11.2 points, I believe it was. And then this Democrat came in and won by two points. How is that a good sign for Democrats? I'm just curious. I think the
0: only thing that Democrats could genuinely run on with their base and some of the more moderate people is on the uh, abortion issue. Right. Um, and I think that's a legitimate issue. I think Republicans need to hit it, hit it head on. But, uh, when you say hit it head on, how do you do that? Uh just make the case and, and be able to say, no, we, the the Supreme Court ruling didn't abolish it. It just said you get to make those decisions in your own
3: state. With and, Kansas being the example. Yes. They left it up to the voters instead of nine yes, people in robes. Right. right. And they said, no, we don't want to abolish it in our state. Great. It worked. That's yes. exactly what they wanted. But I think they sufficiently scared a
0: lot of people. But for a lot of people, that is their tier one, number one issue. And they're going to get out and vote and make their vote heard. And, you know, that's the American way. But Republicans they fall into this trap where they keep talking about personalities. And I think the Democrats want nothing more than to have a daily drip of Donald Trump and just try to tie every single Republican to Donald Trump and the perception of chaos. And, you know, there's a big dust cloud and try to taint everybody. But the the problem is the Trump policies were working because the contrast between the two. And that's where I don't think they want to get into a debate on on this. Like Joe Biden goes to Pennsylvania and he starts talking about crime. Right. How do you do that when the border's wide open and you've been at your vice president, you know, Two years ago was out there trying to
3: bail people out of these riots as fast as they can to put them back out on the street. That's right. And, and the crime of, of fentanyl coming over uh, across this border, yeah. killing a record number of Americans between 18 and 49, something like more than 100,000. Number one here. cause of death for that, that age category. I heard Dana Perino today on America's Newsroom talk about how it's killing 300 Americans per day and oh. then a parent who lost their kid and, and the parents said look we we came from a normal household right cuz yeah. fentanyl is now being laced or I'm sorry like things like oxycotton which you should not be taking either but but some kids you know may take that thinking it's a safe drug so to speak it's laced with fentanyl and then they're finding their kids face down on their desks in their bedrooms with their earbuds in and they're dead you know yeah. and and it's, it's it's something that is a crisis in this country and and the president refuses basically to talk about it we're talking to Jason Chaffetz right now so you think then Therefore, when it comes to the midterms and you see Joe Biden came in Reuters, 38 percent approval, everybody keeps talking about momentum, And I, I keep looking at the polls and I see little ticks up here and there, but then I see drops. I don't see anything happening. Right. And, and I just wonder at this point, I guess the Senate, I, I think they, the, the Republicans will take back the House because that always happens. The party in power loses X amount right. of seats and not just like two or three Donald Trump lost dozens 43, by the right? Dozens, right? Yeah. Barack Obama lost 63, yeah. and he was pulling higher than Joe Biden, okay? Yeah. Bill Bill Clinton, 54. The difference with Clinton is Clinton learned from that and then pivoted back to the he middle. Did. yeah. And they won re-election, not quite a landslide, but pretty comfortably, right? Yeah. Uh, this president doesn't have the ability to do that, does he?
0: Well, he, he, I mean,
3: you follow communications as closely
0: as anybody. This yeah. guy, if, if the solution the Democrats say is more cowbell. We need more Joe Biden, <laughs> right? More, get him out on the trail yesterday. But he he makes so many gaffes. I mean, just yesterday, he's talking about Fetterman mm. and encouraging people to go out and vote for the big guy. We want to put him back in the governor's office. It's like, wait, he's, running, a Senate for the, candidate. he's running for the Senate. Not oh, the, I, so you could see why these people don't want to stand next to him because he's a gaffe machine. But it'd be fascinating as he crisscrosses the country, who shows up, how many people show up, and will these candidates like Tim Ryan in Ohio and Stacey Abrams and and uh, Fetterman and uh, will they even show up at John Kelly in Arizona
3: I mean I I don't know that they want his face and certainly Kamala Harris is nowhere that was Jason Chaffetz you can listen to the entire interview at GuyBensonShow.com back with more in a moment
2: for the full interview and more go to GuyBensonShow.com
3: Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. We are in the home stretch. We call it the home stretch, and this is the best part of the show, so you're going to want to stick around for this because we go through what we call kicker stories, the fun stuff and stuff that really actually I'm very passionate about, including a tech worker who went viral with return-to-office complaints. Can't do your lunch break workout, this tech worker complains. And look, Goldman Sachs here in New York City, they will mandate that all of their workers come back to the office full-time The Tuesday after Labor Day and here's where I come down on this right we're gonna bring in Christine the producer on this one I believe in the four-day work week and that doesn't mean okay you work four days standard eight hours and then you get a three-day weekend every weekend no I believe in if you have an eight-hour workday make it 10 hours Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're still putting in the 40 hours, but then you get that extra day. And if on that Friday, you have to do a meeting or two from home, then so be it. But at least you have that work life balance that makes workers happier in general. I'm curious, Christine, where do you come down on the whole work from home thing? Because let me add one more thing, by the way, if you take away the commute, say here in New York City, You gain back, at least for me. I am literally 19 miles from Fox News headquarters out in a little town called Wyckoff, New Jersey. And if I leave during happy hour, or in this case, rush hour, it takes something like 90 minutes for me to get home. It's incredibly frustrating. So I'm on the road basically three hours per day, 15 hours a week. If I could get that back, I could be so much more productive as a worker, so much happier as a worker, and not as distracted with all the water cooler talk about who's dating who. Not that that goes on in this network, of course. Christine, where do you come down on all this?
4: Who is dating around here? Do tell.
3: Well, you know, there's this one guy, Larry, over in... Oh, that Larry. (laughs) Yep, Larry. Larry Dallas, they call him. I've heard stories about him. Never trust a guy that's named after a city. Never play cards with a guy named after a city. And Larry Dallas who is at this network Who works behind the scenes, never trust Larry Dallas. Mm.
4: Sorry, Some people Larry. say never trust producer Christine.
3: Well, <laughs> that was the olden days. Yes. So you like working from home? I heard you do so it two I, days I, a week. I
4: do, do work from home, and I do like it. I have to be honest, and I'm not just kissing up if the bosses are listening right now. Yes. I truly enjoy being here. I re- I mean, how lucky are we? It's radio. Every day is something different. You Great know, point. I get to harass. I mean, book people all the time. Get to yell at my callers. Yell at Dan. <laughs> yell at Wyatt. I mean, it's a dream for a girl like me.
3: That's happiness, isn't it? It's
4: pure happiness. But, but I 100% agree with you. The commute just takes the life out of you. I'm in New Jersey as well. Yep. It just drains you mentally. You are tied to New Jersey Transit if you're not going because I'm not going to drive and I can't afford that. Uh, They break down all the time.
3: Train or bus you take? Train, right? Both. Okay.
4: So I train it in and bus it home.
3: Just so people at home understand, it's not like we're in Tokyo, all right, where you got to get on a train from 20, 30 miles out and you're here in 30 minutes the way it should be. Oh, no. You get 18 stops on the way to New York and then you don't even go into New York half the time. You got to stop off at a place called Secaucus where then you have to get off, go up like five staircases, down five staircases onto another train, and then once you get under The Hudson River, everything clogs up and you're sitting there for another 20 minutes. It is soul crushing, as you said.
4: It is soul crushing. And the worst part for me lately has been once you get off the train or the bus and you're dumped into Port Authority or Penn Station. And now you got to make your way to work because I refuse to take the subway. I'm terrified. Yeah. That walk alone, I think, takes the life out of me every day. (laughs) I'm wondering what I'm stumbling across, who I'm stepping over. Good point. Who who could possibly be stabbing me? I mean, and, and those are legit concerns these days. I'm not just being the paranoid. You're Christina. not exaggerating. I, no,
3: I went through Penn Station a couple days ago, and literally, you, you walk by people and you don't know whether they're alive or dead. And I'm not making a joke. Like no. they, they don't look like they're breathing. You know, and then the scent is overwhelming. I mean, it, it stings the it's nostrils,
4: unbearable. Yeah. I, I won't even take my daughter right now into the city. You know, to, but but circling back, I kind of agree with you. I think there has to be more of a work life balance. And even just, I still work the way I do here at home. But guess what? You know, my daughter said to me the other day, "Mommy, that means a couple days a week, the school bell rings and I get to go home with the kids." <laughs> right. and she's And she's off to aftercare. Then a babysitter's usually picking her up and. You know, I don't roll in till 7:30.
3: You end up losing money on your job when you have to, when you have to pay for all these things—babysitter, aftercare, all this stuff, right? And it's like I'm working to pay for working. That that's the way it works. I'm curious if things went this way, Christine. Let's say they took away the work from home option, and then you said, you know what? I'm getting out of this business altogether. I want to be a U.S. Open ball person. Do you think you have what it takes, Christine? Of
4: course I do. But just tell me, what does it take? It, it, it takes a <laughs> and lot. And I'll tell
3: you if I do. Do you realize that hundreds of people try out for a spot on the U.S. Open ball crew, All right, Those are the guy, guys and gals who I've never seen people move that quickly for something. When that ball is out there and they got to pick it up and run back, yeah, but I mean, it's so like you're you, bolt.
4: So you see a ball, you go run out, you pick it up and you run back. I don't understand why this is... A thing.
3: Well, applicants must perform rigorous drills that test court awareness, agility and the ability to roll, catch and toss a tennis ball. I mean, this is unbelievable. But I wonder if there's an age limit. Right. I mean, wasn't there a Kramer in Seinfeld? He wanted to be a ball man and, and he wanted to be a ball boy. And then Jerry had to explain to him the term is ball boy, not ball man. And then he ends up being a ball boy, but something goes horribly wrong, and that's that. But there was one man, uh, Brian Auerbach of California, became a ball person at the age of 28, when mostly everybody was teenager, So you still got about two years left, Christine, before you hit that, that ceiling.
4: So oh, you are so kind. <laughs> I am way over the age limit. But I think Dan had some ball person experience. I,
5: I did at the Pilot Pen uh, Tennis Tournament in New Haven. I was a court attendant. I was not fast enough as a kid to be a ball boy. <laughs> So they were like, "Here, here, little boy. You, you go over here and you give them towels and water, and just stand there behind them." Just so
3: people know, Dan stands at, from what I can tell, about six seven. I mean, you're not <laughs> you're right. You're like the no, Sean Bradley 6'3". Yeah. Okay, yeah. when you're five nine, yeah. six three looks like six seven. So I would imagine, since you're tall, it's harder to be a ball person because right. the bending down to get the ball, it just it's longer, and
5: you stand out more. You're like I was like the the height of the tennis players when I was thirteen, so <laughs> <laughs> it looked a little awkward standing there. So I was happy to give them more water and towels and stuff like that instead well that's all you need what you don't need these days it seems is your
3: phone it causes wrinkles and worse detrimental effects from blue light see i knew this you stare at this thing long enough you're either getting some form of cancer or at least wrinkles i mean the thing is basically a radioactive product you know not not completely like chernobyl radioactive but but still that's what they're saying that dermatologists now say that ultraviolet uv rays from sun damage The appearance and overall health of the skin, but the harmful effects of blue light emitted by LED screens, like on smartphones, television, computers, and so on. uh, That's that's what's happening right now. New study says that the light of the screen is aging us somehow. Christine must not have a a cell phone because again, I'm going to go with the second. Compliment on the age with Christine, who was born in 1997. Congratulations on your 25th birthday this year,
4: Christine. Oh, Joe, I mean, the show's over. We booked you already. <laughs> we we'll say these point. nice things.
3: Well, I tried sending the uh, the uh, Venmo, but I, I must have sent it to the wrong Christine. So now I'm trying to, the, another way. <laughs> no, this, uh, is,
4: this is a little scary. I mean, uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, but Guy loves to broadcast that I am the oldest on the team. Really? Yes. I am 41. Wow. Thank you. Okay. You've probably known me for almost... Probably like 15 years by now.
3: That's true. Yes, yes, yes. So 41 is a good age, right?
4: I like it. I feel 41 is a good age. But, you know, you have to start. I was just uh, telling the team a couple of weeks ago. I think it's almost time for the Botox, the filler. I haven't done any of that oh, yet. But I, I think we're going to get there. Now, if I'm getting all this damage, I maybe start now.
3: Can I tell you the wife is getting into that? She's been a yard ER doctor forever. And it's it's like being an investment banker. It beats you down. And once you turn 40, you're like, I got to get out of here. You know, it's just too it's horrific, and the healthcare system's being more and more overwhelmed. So now she's getting into Botox training. She's going to be doing the jabs.
4: Oh, so we could probably talk after. Maybe if you want to, just hand me your wife's number. That'd be great.
3: Absolutely, you come right to the house.
4: Oh, right? perfect.
3: And we're thinking about opening up a clinic in Hoboken, New Jersey, and we're going to call it Hobotox. What do you think about
4: that? Huh? Hmm? huh? <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's if that's my, real, that's amazing. That's my idea. Yes, so, that's a great one. Um, I'll be there. All right, done. Oh, by the way, uh, we'll, we'll leave it on this.
3: since this is kind of like a happy hour kind of segment. Uh, just five alcoholic drinks will age you and mess up your DNA.
4: Well, then here, forget it for me. Botox, nothing's going to work then.
3: Wait, did they say a day or a week? Oh, I'm screwed. All right. I
4: uh, mean, we talk about this a lot on here. Uh, guy feels that I drink a lot of mama's juice, as we call it. What is the
3: mama's juice of choice? I've been doing, I got to be honest with you, tequila lately. And I'm telling you, there's not really a hangover. Not that I'm having a lot of it, but compared to bourbon or bad beer, tequila is like Gatorade. You know, like you don't feel anything the next day.
4: You know what? I, I don't do tequila because I always felt like it gave me a heartburn. Wyatt, I don't know if he's down there and can talk, but he convinced me to get a margarita one night when we were out, and it was delicious. Oh, yeah? It really was. Wyatt, you're you're a big tequila person, right?
0: I mean, I like margaritas. I think they're
3: pretty good, and I'm happy that we got Christine on that bandwagon because I think it's a pretty refreshing drink in the summer. I think that the whole trick is if you're even like a D-list celebrity like I am, that you just start your own tequila company, you'll make a billion dollars. Everybody does that now. George Clooney, what do you make on Casamigos? Like, you know, a billion on that. Are
4: you comparing yourself to George Clooney now? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Figure I'm married to an
3: ER doctor. He, he was on ER. It's close enough. I just needed to clarify. <laughs> yes. Anyway, well, this was a fun conversation, and this was a fun show. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our guests, and thanks to Guy Benson for letting me sit in this royal seat. Hopefully, we'll see you again soon on The Guy Benson Show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: The power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.